Open your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy 4. Is it, are we on? Okay, let's make sure. If not, I'll just yell louder. Now, good evening. 2 Timothy 4. We are going to be doing another uh, part of this, as Roger said, as we're looking at this idea of, of keeping the faith, as, as I've been asked to do by the leadership here. And the title I was given for tonight was Helping Others Finish. We're in a race. Paul says uh, in another passage that we're supposed to run, run with purpose, run like we're going to win a crown. I mean, those who run in a race, they, they give all of their might, they give all of their effort, they put everything they can into it. If they're fighting, they don't fight like someone who just beats the air because they're trying to knock out that guy and get the prize. But while we are running a race with all of our might and with all of our heart and our soul and our strength, we're not doing it in a way that is not mindful of the other people on the racetrack. That's you, and that's me. And as we are running the race, and as Paul understood as he was running the race, he is doing this in a way where he is mindful of there are others that I need to help get across the finish line. Because, frankly, there were other people who helped Paul finish. As we think about Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Now here he is at the end of his race. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Again, there's the theme. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give award to me on that day. But notice, not to me only, but to also all of those who have loved his appearing. Paul gets a crown, but so do you. Paul gets a prize, but so do you. We understand that we're all trying to help each other get across this finish line. And as Paul is nearing the end of his race, he's thinking about Timothy. But we also have to understand that there are others who helped Paul. And we'll talk about that uh, here shortly as we look at somebody who specifically helped Paul. So I hope you had a, hope you had a good day. I know that it's a sacrifice to, to come to things like this night after night. And there's, some of you drove a good way, and some of you haven't seen it in a long time, so I've seen some familiar faces, faces from before the wheel was invented, like that when I was a kid. So good to see you all, and uh, glad that we can spend this time together. Appreciate your heart for God and your heart uh, for study and heart for growing closer to Jesus. We're going to look at four things tonight. I know that I think it's in the Bible. The preacher's supposed to have three points, but we're going to have four tonight. So what we're going to, and, and you have the outline available with you there, and, uh, but we see that uh, the first thing we're going to talk about is, <clears throat> I want us to appreciate, I want us to appreciate the power of encouragement. What, what I want us to leave with as we think about this first point is that you have power given to you by God, you have power given to you through the amazing word that we've been given to help somebody else cross the finish line to go be with Jesus. And there's a lot of ways that we do that, okay? There, there are a lot of ways that we do that in life, but we have to understand that, that we have great power that's been given to us. Um, there, there are times that maybe I as a dad or as a preacher or in other relationships or as a husband, maybe I failed. I failed to say the things that I should have said at that moment. I assumed maybe, well, they already know that. And sometimes we might assume, well, they already know that. Do I really, what if I tell them that? They're going to say, oh, I know that. 
But you see that, there, that I can't assume that. I've got I've to use my words and use the word of God to help encourage you and help encourage other people because there's great power in that. I want you to look with me in Acts chapter 11, if you would. Uh, Acts chapter 11. <clears throat> Those of you who are here on Sunday, you remember that uh, Paul said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. And I love to visualize that. Uh, I saw a picture one time from the 1800s of a, of a slave and how his back was just beaten and scarred from, from his master. And it, you, you see the marks all over that slave of what he had endured at the hands of his master. And then we think about uh, what did Paul look like after being stoned, after being beaten and whipped, and all of the things that he went through. What did his face, was it, you know, was it contorted in some way? Was it, was, what did his face look like? What did his back look like? Did he, you know how somebody, somebody who plays football for a long time and they just don't walk as well anymore. Maybe they've had to deal with concussions. I think maybe Paul had a concussion or two. <laughs> he bore in his body the marks of the Lord Jesus. So keep that in mind as we look at, let's turn to Acts chapter 14 since I'm mentioning that. Then we'll go back to Acts 11. But Acts chapter 14 we see Paul here is preaching the gospel in what we call the Galatian region. The Galatian region is Lystra, Iconium, Derby, and Antioch. That's what we see in Acts 13 and 14. That's the foundation of the letter to the Galatians. But as he's preaching there, some people don't really like what he's saying. And so he's stoned, dragged out of the city, and left for dead. Some suggest he might have actually died. But regardless, they stoned him, left him for dead. Well, if I was stoned in New Albany, I don't know if I'd come back. Would you? I want to try a new city today. So let's just read this. <clears throat> verse 20 says, When the disciples gathered together, verse 20, the disciples gathered together about him. He rose up and entered the city. On the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Remember what just happened to him. He'd just been stoned. What did he look like? Think about this man who had just been pummeled with rocks, pummeled with rocks until they thought he was dead, dragged him out of the city. He gets back up. I don't see any indication that the Lord just took all his wounds away because he writes to them later, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus, these very people, when he writes Galatians. He gets back up and he starts talking Preaching the gospel, but then he also strengthening the souls of the disciples. Verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. If there was anybody who could say they had skin in the game, it was literally Paul. <laughs> Paul literally had skin in the game. You know, when you see somebody that comes into the church building after, uh, after having gone through chemo and their hair's gone and they're, they're very weak, but they come in here to the church building and they sit down and they're worshiping, they're worshiping Jesus Christ. Does that do something for you? Somebody walks in with an oxygen cart and they can barely walk and they can barely, barely breathe, but they're coming in here to worship Jesus. Somebody who has a spouse who doesn't love Jesus and that spouse at home makes it very hard for them to love and follow Jesus. But they come in here with their kids. Does that help you? It sure does, doesn't it? And so when we think about Paul, when he stands there and looks at those people, 
There's, there's no getting around. He has, through many tribulations, followed Jesus. And so what do we do, brothers and sisters, with the suffering that we have endured? What do we do with it? God brings us through our sufferings, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, so that we can be comforted by God, but then turn around to share that comfort that we receive with God with each other. We didn't go through those trials to keep that lesson to ourselves. Are you with me? Okay, we don't, we don't do that. And so there's great power in that encouragement. Let's turn back to Acts chapter 11. Let's look at the effect of Barnabas's encouragement. Acts chapter 11, he was called Barnabas for a reason. He's the son of encouragement. Imagine you got a name change. They took you down to the social security office and said, we're going to call you Barnabas, son of encouragement. So his, his manner of life led to a name change. This is the kind of person Barnabas was. Acts chapter 11, when the Christians started being converted, when people started being converted in Antioch, the apostles sent Barnabas. And so uh, we see in verse 21, a hand, the hand of the Lord was with them, a great number believed and turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Does that matter? To do that for new Christians. It sure does, doesn't it? To, to, to do that for new Christians. Okay, And I know that you're doing that here, but I just want to encourage you to do that all the more because there's great power in going and helping new babes in Christ and encouraging them to be steadfast and follow God. There's great power in that encouragement. And notice the effect of it as we continue in Acts chapter 11. Uh, Barnabas, uh, he was a good man, verse 24, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So when he helped encourage what kind of culture was created within the congregation? There was a culture that was created within the congregation where other souls started getting added. There's power in that encouragement. When you're around complainers and gossips and negativity, well, that's going to spread, isn't it? It just goes everywhere. But if we have a Barnabas spirit, that's going to also spread. So let me ask you, what's your spirit? <laughs> Do you have a Barnabas spirit? Would, would they send you to those new Christians? I hope so. I hope that would be each and every one of us to say, oh, yeah, that would be me. They'd send me because I'm a Barnabas spirit. So understand there's great power in encouragement. First Thessalonians, I just want you to notice First Thessalonians 4, and I just want to point out one verse in that passage. When, when a Christian dies, this is just one example. This is just one example of times when people need an encouragement, when a, when a Christian dies. And so we have a loved one who is a Christian who passes. 1 Thessalonians 4 is interesting here because Paul tells them about how we're going to forever be with Jesus, and he gives them that encouragement. But at the end of this section, in 1 Thessalonians 4, notice verse 18. I gave you these words, Paul says, so what are you going to do with them? Verse 18, therefore, encourage one another with what? So what did God give us? He gave us the words to say. He gave you psalms. 
to encourage the brokenhearted. He gave you Job to help someone through the suffering. He gave you passages like this to when someone has died in the Lord and we can sit down with somebody and read that passage. It doesn't take away all the pain. I understand that. Believe me, I get that. But he's given us great power in these words. There's great power and encouragement uh, that we can bring to others. We have to understand that. We have to understand the power of our words, the power of our listening ears. It's hard to shut our mouths off, isn't it? Of course, yeah, I'm a preacher. I know that. (laughs) Okay, but it's hard to shut that mouth off. We listen, you know, but sometimes we want to talk. And sometimes it'd be better if we just listen. That's what sometimes people need. Just listen. That's what Job's friends would have done. If they'd have just done that, it'd have been a great day. They did that for seven days, didn't say anything. It's when they opened their mouths, they caused problems for Job. Power of listening, the power of our words, the power of our presence. I want you to notice the power of words. It's on the outline, Proverbs 12 and verse 25. Anxiety in a a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word does what? How how many of us could tell stories about how, how words have made us upset? How words have damaged us? How words have brought great pain for decades because of those things? But we can also say from the Bible, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. How many of you have have experienced that from your brothers and sisters in Christ? I have. I know you have too. So that means I have to purposefully do that for other people. Second thing, the second point, I want you to turn with me in Luke chapter 15. So if we're going to help others finish, we have to understand the power of encouragement because God wants us to be a cheerleader in a sense. Doesn't mean you have to go out and buy pom-poms, but he would be encouragers and cheerleaders for other people. And we do that not through fluffy self-help stuff. We do that through the wonderful word of God that he gave us. We give them real true things to encourage people with. A culture of safety is the next thing that I want to talk about. Uh, Again, I know as I'm talking to this assembly that there are people who've been studying the Bible for a long time and there's others who are just getting started. Maybe you've noticed this, maybe you've never seen this, but if you read about Jesus, what you're going to find in his life, in his ministry, you're going to see that everybody's trying to come to Jesus. His disciples don't get that yet, so they're trying to keep everybody away. They feel like they've got to be the secret service for Jesus. They got to be the goalies, okay? Those little kids, get them out of here. Oh, those hungry people, send them home, okay? That woman who's not a Jew and she's got a daughter who's demon possessed, send her away because she's annoying us. They're always sending people away. Jesus is like, would you guys stop that? Let them come to me. And that's exactly what the people were doing. If you look at Luke chapter 15, yes, that we know there are people who came to Jesus for a lot of wrong reasons. But there are people who came to Jesus because they knew he was the person who could deal with the real problem that they had. He was the one who could deal with the sin problem. He was the savior. He was the helper that they needed. Luke chapter 15 and verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were doing what? They were drawing near to him. What do the Pharisees and the scribes do? 
You can hear grumble, grumble, grumble. <laughs> They're grumbling. That's the, if you don't know Pharisees and scribes, that's the Jewish religious leadership. That's the, that's the religious leadership for the Jews. The Pharisees had their noses in the air. They thought they were better than everybody else. They despised these kinds of people. They hated these kinds of people. They would have nothing to do with them. But yet, isn't that funny? They were the ones, they were the religious leaders that should have created the culture where these sinners who needed God more than anybody could have come to them, but they didn't create that culture, did they? And so if we want to help others cross the finish line within us and within our congregation, which I'm sure that's here, I'm not saying that's not here, but we have to consider uh, do I, as an individual, do we as a collective group have a, have a culture that's like this? You know, the greatest compliment that they paid him was saying, this man eats with tax collectors and sinners. I can hear Jesus saying, thank you, that's exactly what I do. We know what month it is right now. We hear about it all the time. We know it's Pride Month. And I know that we have to preach the truth about what the Bible says about homosexuality and transgenderism. But does the homosexual who is struggling with his or her sin feel safe to tell us? That may be true. It may not be true. I don't know. But do they, are they, would they be safe to talk to you and say, I am struggling with this sin. I know it's wrong. And they're out there. I know it's wrong, but I don't want to live this way, but I need to talk to somebody about it. Will they feel safe talking to me? Is that an important question to ask? You remember the church in Corinth? Such were some of you. Murderers, homosexuals, adulterers, drunkards. And I know from some homosexuals over the years who have struggled with this as they tried to live for Christ, they would rather come up here and say that they were an axe murderer than to say they struggle with homosexuality. And so what we have to understand is Jesus created a culture. Jesus did not minimize sin, did he? He told the woman, go sin no more, John 8. He did not, and hear me clearly, he did not minimize sin. But he had a culture around him where sinners could come to him. And so as we think about, that's just one example, but there are so many other examples. Maybe I'm struggling loving my spouse, and maybe it's a church leader who's struggling loving his or her spouse. Oh no, yes, church leaders have problems too. Can they feel safe talking to somebody about that? Can you feel safe saying, I'm struggling with this addiction? Do I create that culture around me where somebody is, is about to give up on their faith and they're just questioning everything about Jesus? They grew up going to church, but because of several things that have happened in their life, they are like, I, I don't know if I believe anymore. Have you ever encountered somebody like that? Yes. Do they feel free to talk to you? And so as we think about that, if I want to help others cross the finish line, I need to be that kind of person where they came to Jesus to hear him. In contrast, we can think about Job's friends. I want you to look at this in Job chapter 16. 
Job 16. Job's, Job was a man who had lost everything. He lost his, his money, he lost his, his possessions, he lost his children, he lost his health. At one point he loses the support of his wife. She says, curse God and die. And then the friends come in and they accuse him of being a sinner against God. There's, there's no way you could be a righteous man and, and suffer all of this. And so they just keep hurling accusations after him one after another. You, have to, you must have done a doozy. You must have sinned like really big Job to have to be going through this kind of stuff. And so in the middle of his suffering, as they're talking back and forth, in Job 16, he says in verse 1, Job answered and said, I have heard many such things, miserable comforters are you all. Shall windy words have an end? Or what provokes you that you should answer? I could also speak like you do if you were in my place. I could join together uh, words against you and shake my head at you. I could strengthen you with my mouth, and the solace of my lips would assuage your pain. You know, I could talk to you this way, but if you were in my situation, I would try my best to say things to help you in this situation. You see how there's two very different responses? And so we have to understand that for ourselves. Am I... Are we a safe place for people to talk to to say, I'm struggling? Third thing, I want you to turn with me, if you would, please, to 1 Samuel 23. I love Jonathan, named our son Jonathan because of this Jonathan. <clears throat> Jonathan is the son of King Saul. King Saul is going to be ousted by God as king, and the next king's going to be David. Well, Saul is jealous, and he's full of rage, and he's trying to kill David. He's doing everything in his power to kill David, and uh, yet Jonathan is caught in the middle because Jonathan is the son of King Saul, but yet he's best friends with David. That puts him in a really bad situation, doesn't it? He's son of the king, best friends with David. His dad's trying to kill David. David is running all over the place, fleeing for his life. He has no safe place to land. If you have read this section of the Bible, you will see how David is in one place after another. He just keeps running from one cave to one spring to one wilderness, one place after another, and he just can't find a place to rest. Great Psalms written about that as he went through that. But I want you to notice 1 Samuel 23. <clears throat> First Samuel uh, 23 and verse 15. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and did what? Strengthened his hand in God. He strengthened his hand in God. And he encouraged him by the promises of God. But you understand, Dave, Jonathan at this point, his own dad had tried to kill him in chapter 20. His own dad had tried to throw a spear at him for trying to stand up for David. But Jonathan acted with intentionality to say, I'm going to go find David and I'm going to say what I can to encourage him. So he took his life into his hands. He risked his own life to go out. He went against his dad's orders to go out and find David and say, David, I'm going to strengthen your hand in God. 
Sometimes we come to the church building. I'm guilty of this myself, so understand when I say this, <clears throat> I've done the same thing. We come to the church building, and we say, hi, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. <laughs> how you doing? Oh, I'm good. Lie. And then we go home. But then we see it on their face. We know something's not right. Maybe it's between the husband and the wife. There's something not right. Maybe it's, maybe it's some other relationship. They just come in. Maybe it's a mom that's just wrestling with her kids, and you just see her walking out. She's frustrated, and she's discouraged, whatever that is. You see that somebody's hurting, somebody's struggling. And then we say, you know what? I ought to call them. And then a week goes by. And a month goes by. Understand, Jonathan said, David needs my encouragement, and I'm going to act with intentionality to I'm going to go purpose myself to go help David. Are we those kind of people? You know what? Somebody needs encouragement. I'm going to take it on myself to reach out to that person and say, how can I help you? Let's turn to 2 Timothy, if you would. 2 Timothy, and I failed to put the chapter reference on there. But 2 Timothy chapter 1. Who helped Paul? Cross the finish line. Well, there's Timothy, there's John Mark, there's, there's Luke, there's a lot of, there's, there's Priscilla and Aquila, there's a lot of people who helped Paul cross the finish line. I heard uh, Bob Owen preach a sermon one time, How to Help Brother Paul. And so there's lots of examples of people who helped Paul. Notice this in 2 Timothy in verse 1, uh, 2 Timothy 1, verse 15. You are all aware that all who were in Asia turned away from me. You remember, well, some of you might remember, Paul, Paul preached there for three years. Everybody in Asia turned away from him. Among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Who helped Paul cross the finish line? That guy, it's hard to pronounce his name. <laughs> Anesiphorus. Say that five times fast. No, don't really try. But, but he, he singles him out in a letter, said, you know, I want to say something about this Anesiphorus because not many people know about Anesiphorus. There's not a lot of big books written about this guy. But he's the one who, who purposefully reached out. Notice this, verse 17. But when he arrived in Rome, he did what? He searched for me earnestly and found me. He, he couldn't share his location on his iPhone. I mean, he's in Rome. He had to look all over Rome trying to find him. It says he searched for him earnestly and found him. And may the Lord grant to him mercy from the, from, find mercy from the Lord that day. And you know all, well all the service he rendered at Ephesus. He didn't just help me, he didn't just help me in Rome. He helped me when I was in Ephesus, and Ephesus was a hard place to live. It's a hard place, place to preach. But then there's Onesiphorus who often refreshed him. And when he wanted to go to Rome, he purposefully reached out. And so what I want to encourage you to do is I want you to take a moment to think about somebody in your life right now or somebody in this congregation. And if you're not a member of this congregation, somebody that you know in your life, Somebody in your congregation who you know is struggling. Can you write that name down? I see everybody looking at me. <laughs> Can you write the name down and do something about that tonight? Can you say, I'm going to make a plan 
Tomorrow, I'm going to search them out earnestly, and I'm going to be an Onesiphorus. I'm going to find them in the wilderness like Jonathan, and I'm going to strengthen their hand in God. Do you write that name down? Put it on your phone, whatever you do. This is important. And we're going to talk about the last point because it's urgent. But we need to act with intentionality. We can't just say, and this is another one I've said before, and maybe you've said this, if there's anything I can do, let me know. So we go visit somebody. <laughs> if we, we go visit somebody, turn to Hebrews 3, by the way. We go visit somebody, and we see, uh, we see a, a woman who's you know, got a couple kids, and she doesn't have a husband, and there's all kinds of problems at her home, but she's, she's got the laundry needs to be done, the yard needs to be mowed, there's nothing in the fridge, and then I say, if there's anything I can do, let me know. I already saw what I need to do. I already got my list. Act with intentionality. And finally, as we spend these last few moments together, please act urgently. And that's not from me. That's from the Holy Spirit here in Hebrews chapter, uh, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 3. <clears throat> Hebrews 3, verse 12. These brethren were struggling. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But do what? Exhort one another. Wednesday, Sunday? Daily. As long as it is called today. As long as it is called today. Let me get my words together. As long as it is called today. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. That's why I'm asking you to write that name down. This is not just a futile exercise. Because if we're not urgent about it, the devil might get a hold of them. So if you know somebody who's struggling, somebody who needs encouragement, it's time to act now, as the Bible says... Do it now while it is called today, lest they be hardened. Lest there become a time when because of the trials of life and all of the things they're facing, they get so hard, they might be past help. So think about those things. I really appreciate your attention because, like I said, there are, there's great power in our encouragement. I think all of us can think about somebody who sought us out, and we are who we are today. I can look to my left here and see Roger. I am who I am today because he sought me out as a teen. He sought me out in my 20s. He sought me out in my 40s. He sought me out to encourage me. I'll just give you one example as we're, we still got a minute or two. I'm a senior in high school. I'm getting ready to go to Purdue. That's, that's where Roger went. Roger went to Purdue. And so Roger says, I want to take you up to meet the brethren. And so he and Nathan and I get in his van and we drive up to Lafayette. They had a study that night. And so we got to meet all kinds of people at the church. And so he got me acquainted with a ton of the people up there in the church. I'd never been up there before in my life, but he took the time to say, I want to, I want to show you this great group that you can be a part of while you go to Purdue. Okay? That's just something very simple, but he connected me with very good people. And those are little things, and we may think, ah, oh, that's nothing, but that was big to me. And maybe that time that you, you call somebody, and it was just the time that you needed to call them. Can you do that? 
Let's all remember that. There's great power in encouragement. And we need to create the culture of safety, act with intentionality, and please move with urgency. God bless you.